Hey there, Pastor Mark here. It's our prayer that this message would encourage and equip you in your relationship with Jesus. We're able to provide this content due to the joyful generosity of our financial partners. And if you'd be willing to join that tribe and help get some sermons like this around the world, you can donate at harvestbaptist.info slash give. God bless. Prayer is something that we, we hear often. And, and I know that uh, you may be sitting there thinking, oh man, pr- prayer is something that, uh, that's like, that's old hat. Uh, that's something that's elemental. Yes and yes, but it's still something that we need help with. And I think we would do well to revisit the subject on occasion uh, because it's easy for the elemental things and the basic things to fall by the wayside. And it's those things that we need to get back to. It's those things that actually have great impact that can help change our lives when we are able to be in communion with God and have the power of God resting on our lives. And we need to to revisit the subject this morning. And uh, we're going to read Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 36. You can follow along as I read and then we'll dive into it this morning. The Bible says in verse number 36, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that was James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death, tarry ye here and watch with me. Uh, Just to give you the context here, this is right after Jesus had spent some time in the upper room with his disciples and observed the Passover meal. This is right before Jesus is is going to be crucified that that morning. And, And so Jesus understood, being God, the gravity of the situation, what was about to take place in the future, and, and he, under, he understood the weight that, that that brought with him. And not just the, the pain and the agony of, of crucifixion, although that is real, humanly speaking, and he was a man. And, um, but I think it was more than that. It was more uh, along the lines of the spiritual application there and, and the implications and that, that he would take the sin of the world upon him to, to be that payment for sin. But that would, that would entail the father turning his back on him. And we can't even fully comprehend all that that meant with the unity of the, of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in eternity past. And in that moment of time where Jesus takes the sin of the world upon him and how that, that unity was disrupted because of sin. And so Jesus here is in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And he's saying to literally his best friends in the whole world, hey, this is a heavy time. I am, I am in, in the, the trial of my life will you please pray with me? That's what's going on here. And verse number 39, it says, and he went a little further and he fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? I mean, and that verse is a sad verse. It really, it resonates because just a few verses earlier, remember in the upper room, Jesus told his disciples, you're going you're to deny me. And Peter being the bombastic character that he is, he spoke up and said, no, 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 that's not going to be true of me. No way. Although all men forsake you, I won't. If it means me going to my death, I will never forsake you. And Jesus told him, no, the, the, the rooster's going to crow three times. Before he does, you will deny me. And here we see uh, a seed of it, if you will, uh, where Jesus asked his best friends, would you pray with me? And he couldn't watch but an hour. He fell asleep on them. How sad. And look uh, what it goes on to say in verse 41, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I I can relate to that. Can you? Man, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's a battle sometimes, even in this subject of prayer that we face. Man, I want to pray and I want to be more faithful in prayer, but my flesh is weak and I war in this area against the flesh. Verse 42, it says, and he went away again the second time and prayed saying, oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. 
And he left them and went again, away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to the disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that, hath, that doth betray me. Speaking of Judas. Let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to consider this passage this morning. Lord, we're thankful for the record of it. We're thankful for the instruction of it. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to give our attention to it this morning, that we would just uh, be distraction-free. Help us to calm our spirits, clear our minds, help us to be in tune and yielded to the Spirit of God as he works in this room this morning and even on the live stream to those that are listening. I pray that you would help us to be yielded to you. This morning, Lord, that I pray for those that perhaps are not saved, that they would hear uh, of who Jesus is and the grace of, of God and, and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Lord, I pray for those that are saved, that they would be built up in their faith. They would be encouraged. They would be comforted. They would be challenged. Lord, that each one of us would draw closer to you this morning and be more like you and obey you, Lord, and, and bring you glory. Lord, I pray for Pastor Mark this morning, uh, that you would be with him. Have your hand of protection and provision upon him. Heal his body. Lord, give him rest and give him strength. Lord, we, we are thankful for him as a church. We're thankful for him and his leadership. We're thankful for his passion. We're thankful for his zeal. We're thankful for his family. Lord, in the sacrifice uh, that they have week in and week out to be a part of this church and to lead this church and to shepherd this church. Lord, we're so thankful for their willingness and the way by which you use them. And Lord, we pray that you'd be with me now as I, as I preach this message. Lord, give me clarity of thought. Give me the ability to effectively communicate your word. And Lord, that each one of us, as we hear it, that it will find root in our hearts and that we'll apply it to our lives this week. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most pronounced memories that I have as a child of prayer happened one winter day when my brothers and I were outside sled riding. And um, where I grew up, we had a really long driveway. We would sled ride sometimes on the driveway if it was icy enough, and that was fun. Uh, but my, my, my parents had their house at the, the, the very end of the driveway. Beside my parents were my grandparents, my dad's parents. And then beside them was my uncle, and that was my dad's brother. And we would sled ride at our house. We had a decent hill uh, at our, at our, on our property. But sometimes we would go over to my uncle's house and slide, sled ride at his house because he had a steep hill. And he had a really long hill. And as young boys liked it to be, if it's dangerous, if it's fast, if it may kill us, we're all in, right? Like we want it to be faster and more dangerous. And so we decided, my brother Frank, my brother Pete, and myself decided to go over to my uncle's house. And we were sled riding there. And that particular winter, we were getting a decent amount of snow. It wasn't like this past winter. I, I don't know, is it just me or does the winters in Pennsylvania changed? I remember the days of growing up, man, we used to get snow all the time uh, and it would stick around. But anyways, that's a side note. Um, but in, th in that particular winter, we were getting snow and then we were getting freezing rain and we were getting snow and it was packing down and we were able to make a really uh, awesome uh, sled riding course that started all the way at the top of the back hill at my uncle's house and all the way down the hill to the bottom where the main driveway came into the properties. And uh, we were flying because of just the, how packed it was. We were flying down the hill. We were having a good time. And then we got the right idea. Let's put more weight. Let's all three of us get on one sled more weight you have, the faster you go, right? And we got to ramp this thing up. We got to make it more dangerous. Well, on one particular time going down the hill, I didn't go uh, on the sled with my brothers, but it was my brother Frank and my brother Pete. And Pete, you may remember this. I don't know how much you remember this, and it'll make sense after I tell the rest of the story. Um, but Pete and Frank were going to go down the hill. Pete was a little hesitant to do it because of how fast we were going. But nonetheless, we coaxed him into doing it, which what are brothers for? Coasting you into doing stupid stuff. Um, and so he does it anyways. But about halfway down that hill, Pete tries to bail. He tries to roll out of the sled. Well, his foot gets stuck and he smashes his head off of a tree really hard, knocks him out cold. And I watched the whole thing happen from the top of the hill. And I'm like, my, my stomach just sank and I start screaming and running down the hill because Frank has no idea and he's still going and they're spinning out and it's going crazy. He's laughing, thinking everything's great, Frank. And, uh, and Pete's literally unconscious, uh, laying on the hillside in the snow. And so I run down there, I jump over him and roll him. You know, he was face down, I roll him over. And as soon as I roll him over, his eyes just roll in the back of his head. 
And I'm like, this is not good. Uh, so my brother Frank, being the older brother, you know, he's like, go get Uncle John. And so I'm running down the hill to go get my Uncle John. And Frank, being the genius that he is, he knows what to do in a traumatic situation like this. When somebody's unconscious, you pick them up and you put them on your shoulder and you carry them down the hill. We've learned later, like, you don't do that. If somebody's hurt, you leave them lay. Um, anyways, but he brings them down the hill. We end up getting into my uncle's garage, scared my uncle half to death. I don't even know if he knew we were there, uh, but we're sled riding on his property. We bring my brother Pete into his garage, lay him on the floor. He's unconscious. And the first thing my uncle says to do, let's pray. I was like, okay, uh, let's pray. So he stops. It's my uncle John. It's my brother Frank. It's me and Pete laying on the floor, not responding. And so he prays. I don't even remember what he prays, but what I distinctly remember is when he said, amen, Pete woke up. And I, and I remember that being like, man, that's amazing. That's, that's powerful. As a young kid, I didn't understand the significance of prayer in that moment, but man, God answered a prayer and he answered it pronouncedly and, and immediately. And Pete ended up having to go to the ER. My mom was a nurse who was working, but that's the, she got home like right around that same time and, and to find that, you know, my brother Pete had uh, cracked his head off a tree. I don't know this for sure. Pete, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the diagnosis after going to the ER is he actually fractured his skull. Uh, he was okay. I mean, he's a little bit off today, but... Uh, <laughs> But he, I think he actually fractured his skull, and he, we had to be careful with that, uh, you know, as he developed and grew. But it was a mean hit. And, but I remember that, just the prayer's powerful. And it, oftentimes when I think about that, I, remember, I, I often get convicted, too, of how little use I make of it. And, and we need to be reminded, of like, man, it is powerful. I can have access to God and God wants to commune with me and God wants to use me and God wants to empower me, but I'm failing to communicate and commune with him on a regular basis. So that's what I want to look at today in this particular passage. And I think that we specifically, specifically can learn from Jesus. It's one thing as you study the Bible, we see, I'm, I'm thankful for all the Bible characters. I'm thankful for people like Joseph in the Old Testament and Daniel. And these guys are just bulwarks of the faith. And I'm thankful for People like Peter, who, you know, is messing up all the time. I can relate to that, right? And, and all these other characters that we find in the scriptures. But I'm, I love and I try to pay, uh, pay extra special attention to Jesus. And what is the example that he gives to us? It, Peter, and the apostle Peter wrote, he said that we should grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that should be our desire, that I want to grow in my salvation, the grace that God has afforded to me. And I want to grow in my knowledge of Jesus, right? And what does that mean? I think the knowledge that he imparts, we should listen to him, but we should also grow in the knowledge of him. I want to know him. That's what, wasn't that the Apostle Paul's desire? I want to know him, the Apostle Paul said. Uh, I want to know Jesus. Is that your desire this morning? Do you want to know Jesus and to learn from him? Well, we have that opportunity this morning, particularly in the area of prayer. So let's go to Matthew 26. And what can we learn about prayer this morning? I think the first thing that kind of jumps out to me, there's a lot of stuff here and we could spend a long time studying the subject of prayer, but I want to, I want to draw out four uh, observations in this passage on the subject of prayer that we can learn from Jesus. The first being solitude, solitude. Look at verse 39. It says, and he went a little further and fell on his face. So Jesus here he comes, he leaves the upper room with his disciples. They come to the garden of Gethsemane. He leaves uh, some of the disciples on the outskirts of that, that particular area where the garden was. And, and then he brings three of them with him, Peter, James, and John. Uh, this, these were relationships that he had that he particularly invested in in a, in a more measured way. And, and he, he asked them to pray with him, but he leaves them by themselves. And the Bible says he goes a little bit uh, further and there he prays. And so what we see is that Jesus is spending some time alone in prayer, spending time alone in prayer. Uh, solitude is a sacred and scarce thing nowadays. We live in such a, a fast-paced culture and society. We're so busy, we're so distracted, you know, and it, it's hard to, to get that solitude time that, and find that solitary place. And, and I remember when my wife and I, we first had kids, Thank God for kids. I love my kids. They're in the room this morning. Guys, I love you. But I also love my time by myself. Um, I remember when we first got kids, there was 
uh, just such a demand, a life change that happened. And you, those of you that have younger kids or have had younger kids, I think you'll understand that, is that the kids are needy, right? They need help with everything. They need guidance. They need redirection. They need fed. They need change. They need taking places. They, they need help. And I love that. And God's called us to that. But I remember early on when we first had kids and we finally started understanding like, hey, we actually need some set apart time for us to be as a married couple to have some solitary time together. And so we would go on dates and we'd get in the car. We wouldn't turn the radio on. We'd just start driving. And like 15 minutes later, we would look at each other and say, we haven't said a word to each other. And it was like, we'd start chuckling because it was amazing. Like we just had this time of quietness and peace and solitude and it was, it was needed and it was great, but it was hard to come by. And we need to understand the importance here, I think, and the example that we get from Jesus of this solitude time. Uh, we saw that in Matthew, this chapter 26 and verse 39. The parallel passage to this event is in Luke chapter 22. And you want to write that down and read it on your own time. But particularly in verse 41, the Bible says this. It says, and he, Jesus, was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast away. And so the idea that we're seeing here is that Jesus was putting some space between him and others so he could pray with God by himself. Let me say that again. He was putting some space between him and others so he could pray with God by himself. And we need to be diligent to do the same thing. I think that's the example that we're getting here in this subject of prayer is that I need to create space between the busy, between the demands, between the, the, the distractions and the noise and the clutter. I need to intentionally create space to find that time of solitude and that place of solitary uh, time with the Lord. Social prayer is a good thing. We, we should definitely be, you need to have a, a good friend as a friend that prays with you, right? And prays for you. Have friends that pray with you. Uh, have loved ones that pray with you. Family prayer, it's crucial. Dads, can I just stop a moment and say, hey, we need to step up. And I'm speaking to myself as a dad. We need to step up and we need to lead our families in prayer. We need to be spending time together as a family, having devotion time. Dad, you're the leader. You're the one that's supposed to lead in, in guiding your family in faith, in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And part of that is spending time praying together. And family prayer time is crucial. By the way, corporate prayer time, crucial as a church family, we need to be praying together. I'm thankful for the times that we have that. And we'll be uh, sharing more here in the month of May where we'll be having a special prayer time together as a church family. And it's so important that we do that, especially in transition times. We're, we're in a season as a church where we're growing and we're seeing God work. And I praise the Lord for the Easter report we heard last week, right? Where we had almost 1,200 people for Easter weekend and we saw uh, close to 40 or right around 40 some people put their faith in Christ. And man, we rejoice in that. And that's beautiful. And we want that. We want to make more mature followers of Jesus Christ. But we need to be praying about that because the devil's not just going to sit idly by. He hates that. He, he wants to distract us from all that. He wants us to get sidetracked from all that. And we need to be praying as a church family together for protection. We need to pray for our leadership, for wisdom and discretion and for guidance through this time and this season in our church. We need to be praying for each other as a family and as a body of Christ that we're going through trials and hardships and, and, and we're being stretched and stepping outside of our comfort zone. I think you get the point. We need to pray for each other and corporate prayer as a church family, it is essential. But can I say this and just emphasize this point this morning? The time that we have in prayer and solitude with God, it's imperative. We can't, we can't forego it. We can't ignore it. We can't dismiss it. We need to make much of it. This was the example of Jesus. And on many occasions in his prayer life, we see that he set that time aside to be with his father alone in prayer. Mark chapter one and verse 35. You don't have to turn there. You can listen. It says, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he, speaking of Jesus, went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. This was Jesus's habit. This is what he did. The, the, Preacher of yesteryear, Charles Spurgeon, he made this statement. He said, the best incense burns in your private devotions where no one but God hears you. That's your best time of devotion. So 
We understand it principally, but how do I apply it practically? What can I do? How can I work at finding that solitary time? I know it's important. I see the example of Jesus, but the spirit's willing and the flesh is weak. And sometimes I struggle. There's just so much on my schedule. There's so much on my plate. There's so much just vying for my attention and, and for, my, for my resource and energy. What practical things can we do to try to create that solitude time and have that solitary place? I'm gonna give you a few um, suggestions. I would challenge you maybe to write one or two of these down and try to apply it this week. Uh, you know, and each one of us are in different seasons of life. So I would say, first of all, understand this to be realistic. This looks different for every person. If you're an empty nester and you have a little more time on your hands, really we're without excuse in that sense, right? We have time and we should be able to find that solitary time. If you're a young mom or a young family with young kids and you're working a job and you're, you're trying to just get things going in life and that becomes a little bit more difficult. But what I would say, be realistic and be practical in it. You know, if we, we get all jazzed up about a, a sermon about prayer, and man, I, I see how important it is, and I see how powerful it is. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home this week, and I'm going to pray four hours a day every day this week. If you have the space and the bandwidth to do that, great. I would dare say that the vast majority of us don't. And so when it comes to these disciplines in our walk with the Lord, it really is helpful for us to make sure that we're being realistic. Evaluate your, your season of life. Evaluate your schedule and really try to be realistic with it, and then also be intentional. These things don't happen by accident. It's not gonna, hey, a prayer life is not gonna grow or be more effective just haphazardly. I'm gonna have to be intentional with it, and I'm gonna have to make sure I do things like scheduling it, managing your time, uh, examining your fringe time, even if that means, hey, I gotta wake up earlier, I stay up a little bit later. Again, it's different for everybody, but the point being here is that it's amazing what we make time for when it's important to us. We make time for, you know, the fantasy football leagues, right? We make time for the video games. We, we make time for the hobbies. We make time for our favorite, you know, binge watching of whatever episode you're on recently. We make time for that. Why? Because it's important to us. I think we can make time if we properly manage our schedule and evaluate our priorities. We can make time for the solitude that God desires to have with us and that we should desire to have with him. Um, so we need to rearrange. We need to uh, maybe even eliminate some things. You know, it, it's okay to say no. In fact, it's a healthy thing to say no to certain things so you can say yes to better things, right? And, and so it's amazing, especially if you're busy, if you have a propensity to say, yes, 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 I want to take more on. I want to grow. I want to thrive. I want to do it all. Sometimes it's better to say no and saying no to, hey, I'm not going to watch that or I'm not going to get involved in that. I'm setting this time aside so I can have alone time with the Lord. Sometimes that means, hey, I'm gonna establish some boundaries. That may mean shutting a door. I know in a house with little kids, that's hard to do, right? You can't find anywhere to hide. It's like the kids are like excellent at hide and seek when they're playing it with you because you try to hide in the closet, you try to hide in the bathroom, you try to hide somewhere. And somehow, especially you moms, your kids always seem to find you. And it's probably because dad's saying, go find your mom, uh, right? That's why. Uh, but the point being is that we need to make sure that sometimes to establish the boundaries, you may have to shut the door. You may have to say, hey, these are off limit times. And, and as a husband and wife, you have to say, hey, you're, in, you're on kid duty. I'm having some solitude time, some me time and vice versa. But you have to communicate that with each other and be intentional with it. Um, and then I would also say, make it a family practice. Sometimes, especially for my wife and I, our kids are getting older. They're entering their teenage years. And we're wanting to make sure that, hey, not only are we living right, but we're exemplifying what is right to our kids in our own practice. It's one thing for me to say, hey, you do this. But my kids are starting to get smart enough like, but dad, you don't do that, right? Uh, so it's like the ante's up when it comes to parenting at this point. But here's the idea. It's like, if I'm gonna have some solitary time, I'm gonna encourage my kids at the same, hey, you go have solitary time. Hey, you have your devotional time too. And let's make this a family thing. And that may be a practical way that, hey, while you're trying to have your alone time with the Lord, it's okay for us to be separated out and each one of us having our solitary time with the Lord. So I think you get the point. Those are some practical things to chew on when it comes to, hey, Jesus gave us an example. He would go a little bit further by himself. He would go a stone's cast away by himself. And he made and created the space to be alone with his father and pray. Let us do the same. Secondly, what do we see there in Matthew chapter 26? I think we see humility. Humility. And I think this is so crucial. And Jesus is a, the best example 
of humility in the scriptures. Uh, if there was anybody that could be proud and pompous, I think Jesus could, right? We're such hypocrites when we try to be proud and pompous because we can't, we can't um, substantiate it. We can't actually back up what we're being proud and pompous about. We think we can, but in all actuality, we can't. Jesus is the only one that's omnipotent, all-powerful, right? Jesus is the only one all-knowing. Uh, Jesus is the only one that has all the answers, knows all the solutions, and does all things well. You and me, we can't boast like that. We try to. We, we like to compare ourselves among ourselves and say, well, I'm better than so-and-so, and I'm better than that person, and I didn't do that. And, and we're proud by nature. Our sin nature is to be proud. But Jesus, if anybody could have been proud and pompous and, and boast, Jesus could do it and, and be just in so doing it. But he gives us the example of humility. Look at verse 39 again. It says, and he went a little further and he fell on his face. I find that interesting. Jesus fell on his face. What does that mean? I think, first of all, it, it speaking specifically and demonstrating the agony that he was dealing with and knowing what was coming ahead. Uh, the Bible tells us in another account where he, he, he sweat, as it were, great uh, sweat drops of blood. Just the agony and the stress that was on him and the weight of what was about to take place. And he was aware of it. And it literally just, it brought him to the ground. Have you ever been there in a season in your life where, man, I'm just going through stress. I'm going through trial. And it seems like it's just one thing after another, after another. I can bear a little bit, but man, it just keeps piling on. And when it rains, it seems like it pours. And to the point where you just cannot bear it anymore. And it brings you to your knees. That's what's happening, I think, here in this moment where Jesus is facing tremendous trial in agony. But I also think that he's demonstrating a willing humility before his father. And I think this is key. This is, he is giving us an example how we should approach our father in prayer. And it was with a willing humility before him. This is a posture of humility in prayer. Let me say that again. It's a posture of humility in prayer. Posture is important. Posture matters. If you take the time to maybe study, I'm, I'm no expert in posture, believe me. And the next time you see me not having good posture, don't point it out, okay? But posture does matter. And it actually has physical um, ramifications. If your posture is bad, it can affect your health. And a lot of times we'll go to the chiropractor. Why? We're all bent out of shape. And a lot of times it's because of poor posture, right? And so we get realigned so everything can line up right and our posture can be what it's supposed to be. Um, we understand that even in some activities, posture is important. Uh, Pastor or, um, um, Matt Davis, our, our music leader, will tell us when we're in choir practice, hey, we need to make sure we're sitting up straight, shoulders back. We need to be able to breathe right. We need to have good airflow. And if our posture's not what it's supposed to be, we're not going to have the airflow we need to have. We're not going to be able to sing effectively when you're horseback riding or quad riding, right? It, that, I don't know if any of you are into that. I've done some of those things. And I know that part of that is I got to have good posture. Uh, that, so there's a physical aspect to it, but there's also a psychological aspect to posture. Posture is a form of nonverbal communication, and, and it, it has a psychological aspect to it. it ha this would become very apparent if you ever walked into a high school classroom and you observed the room and you see some of the teenagers like this slouched back in their chair, right? And what are they demonstrating? Poor posture, number one, but that's also a demonstration or a nonverbal communication of their attitude, maybe their emotion. And, and we can have a, a closed posture, you know, uh, we can have a, a closed up attitude or we can have an open posture uh, with, that demonstrates a willingness and a tenderness and a vulnerability. And I think that that's what we see here is this humility. It's a posture in prayer and it's a posture in prayer that God desires for you and me to have. And I want to demonstrate that. Look, turn over to uh, Luke chapter 18, because Jesus gives a parable on this. And I think it, it's very informative to us when it comes to this posture of humility in prayer. While you're turning there, I want to define the word humility. Maybe you've, you've heard a definition of humility, and maybe it goes along the lines of something like this. Humility is not thinking of, it's not, not, it is not thinking lowly of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. And honestly, it could be both of those things, right? It could be, don't think, um, or I'm sorry, it's not thinking highly of yourself. I think I said that backwards. Uh, that's what humility is. And, and it, that is true. You should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Uh, Romans teaches that. But it also could mean, well, I'm not really supposed to be thinking of myself. I'm supposed to be thinking of other people. And that aspect could be true. One of the ways that I like to define humility is this. Humility 
is a mindset or an attitude that maintains a proper and biblical estimation of self. It's a disposition of reliance on God versus a self-sufficiency. Uh, so the idea is, is that, hey, sometimes we can be proud. That's not healthy, right? We can be thinking too highly of ourselves because of misinf misinformation and the truths that we're choosing to believe concerning ourselves. Sometimes we can think too lowly, I think, of ourselves where we can be plagued with guilt and shame and say that, oh, I'm worthless. I can't amount to anything. And that can be handcuffing. That can be shackling. And I don't think that that's where God wants us to be either. It's, I, in all practical terms, it's, it's not possible for us to not think of ourselves, right? Uh, but I think what humility is, is properly thinking of ourselves. Humility is me thinking of myself the way Jesus thinks of me. It's me having an estimation of myself the way the Bible defines me. And so what does the Bible teach? It, that we should have a, 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 we're a heart, or I'm sorry, we're a people that are sinners that are in need of the grace of God to save us. And when we put our faith in Christ, we become a child of God. We become loved by God. We become blessed by God. And so humility says, that's who I am. It's, I, yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm cherished and loved by God. And, and that's the truth that I want to believe. And, and there's a healthy balance between the pride and the, the shame and guilt that can plague us. And it's having a proper humility. And so as we look at Luke chapter 18, you should be there by now. What we see is that this posture of humility and the right type of humility is the, the way by which God wants us to approach him in prayer. Look at verse nine. It says, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves and they were, that they were righteous and despised others. And so he gives us an example here. He says, two men went into the temple to pray and the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. And so he shares what the prayer was. He, here, here, here's what it was. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this publican, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess and so on and so forth. I think you get the, the tenor and the, the mood of that prayer. You see it? It's one of what? Pride. It's totally focused on himself and all his self-righteousness. But then he gives us a second example. Look at verse 13. It says, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but he smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, so Jesus, that was the tenor of that prayer, right? It was one of what? Humility. And so Jesus gives his estimation of it in verse 14. I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other, the, the, the Pharisee. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So notice the differences here. This is the difference of spiritual posture. Pride versus humility. The publican, he felt unworthy to even draw near to maybe perhaps to the temple where prayer was to be, to be had. He stood afar off and he was ashamed even to lift his head. He stooped down in shame and he smote his breast. This was an outward demonstration of regret and remorse and sorrow. But the, the Pharisee essentially was saying, I'm a saint and I'm in need of nothing from you in his prayer to God. But the, the publican said, I'm a sinner. I deserve nothing from you but will you be merciful to me? You see the difference? It's a posture of humility. Humility is attractive to God. Pride is off-putting. And God gives us, I think that as we, as God gives us instruction in humility, this helps to give us a good foothold in prayer. And that's what Jesus is demonstrating as he falls on his face before his father. It's a posture of humility. James chapter four and verse six, the Bible says, but he giveth more grace Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So here's the question. What is your and my spiritual posture? What is it? As we walk this walk of faith with our Lord, is, this, is the posture one of pride? And I don't have it. I don't need anything from you, God. I got it all figured out. And a lot of times that's reflective in our lack of prayer. We may not be verbally pronouncing that, but we are living that way by the way uh, we have need of, and, and not communicating that need. We have no need and not communicating it to God. And so we see we have a need to be humble. So that's the principle. I think you're with me. But what's the, 
What's the practical things that we can do to exercise humility? Because, hey, if I want to have a greater foothold in, in, in um, prayer, if I want to not be abased, but I want to be exalted, I want to make sure that I'm not off-putting to God because pride is off-putting to God. And, and God welcomes humility. Hey, you read Psalms chapter 100. Do you know that the Bible talks about there are certain ways that God prefers to be approached? And in Psalms 100, it's a Psalm of Thanksgiving. He says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. He says, when you come into my presence, come with thanksgiving. And a lot of times we come with complaining, griping, right? Uh, and and we, we, we need to understand that, well, God has a preference. He's a king. He's Lord of lords and he's the king of kings. He wants us to come to him with thanksgiving. He wants us, I believe, to approach him in our prayer time with humility. So how can I do that in a more practical way? I would say, again, a couple of things, but take one and maybe work on it this week. Recognize your limits and your flaws acknowledge you're not the best. That's our American mindset, right? We're better than everybody else. It's American made, bless God. If it's from China, that's no good. Uh, you know, and I say that tongue in cheek, but really that is inbred into our DNA. We're better than everybody else. We're the best. But what we need to realize about us is we're broken. We're sinners and we, we have limits and we have flaws and we desperately need Jesus. We desperately need the word of God. And so be quick to recognize your limits and your flaws. When you make a mistake, admit it and apologize for it. Hey, God, dads and men, can I talk to you for a moment? We're hard-headed. I'll be the first to admit it. We, we don't like to say when we're wrong. We don't like to say, man, I, I messed up talking to my wife that way. Uh, I messed up raising my voice to my kids. And then we never address it. You know what that is? It's pride. That's what it is. I'll be the first to admit it. It's a humbling thing to be able to say to my kids, hey, I'm sorry I raised my voice at you. I'm sorry I lost my temper. I'm sorry I did you fill in the blank. If you wanna grow in humility, we need to start doing things like that, admitting when we're wrong. Grow in humility means speaking less and listening more. We have an epidemic of, of, of people in our culture who don't listen. We just talk and we'd like to talk about ourselves. And we want everybody to know about us and our latest and greatest and all of our, our accomplishments and our achievement. But we rarely spend time just stopping and listening to the person across from the table from us. And that happens in our marriages. That happens in our parenting. That happens in our church. We come to church and we want everybody to hear, woe is me. And I'm not saying don't come and share your, your, your hardships. We want to pray with you. We want to meet your need. But maybe we should do a lot more listening. Humility would demonstrate that, hey, it's not about me all the time. It's about the other people around me. And I, I want to listen more than I just talk. Um, maybe don't be quick to talk about yourself. Don't brag on yourself. That's just, that's, that shows pride. Don't be quick to take all the credit. Instead, be grateful. If you're going to brag on anybody, brag on Jesus. Because every good thing that we have is from him anyways. Don't compare yourself with others. Don't criticize. We're so good at criticizing. I can point out what that person did wrong. I can point out why that didn't, you know, turn out. Like we criticize, we criticize, we criticize because we got all the answers. We know better, right? It's pride is what it is. Let's be quick to compliment. Let's be quick to communicate appreciation. Let's be open to all kinds of feedback. You know, sometimes we stay in our pride because nobody can tell us where, where our flaws are. Nobody can tell us where our shortcomings are because we don't want to hear it. We're not open to feedback and we have to be willing to be. That's how we can grow in this area of humility. Just a couple things for, your, for you to consider as you try to apply it. Thirdly, what do we learn? Back to Matthew 26 there. We've seen solitude. We've seen humility. What else do we see? We see persistence. Persistence. Look at verse 39. That second part, it says, and he and prayed saying, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jump down to verse 42. It says, and he went away again the second time and prayed saying, oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And then look at verse 44. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time saying the same words. Do you see the persistence just in this episode, in this one time of prayer, this one season of prayer, there was a persistence to Jesus's prayer life. Now, I think that we can see that persistence in a couple of different ways, and I'll share that in a moment. But when I think of persistence, I think of this bird that keeps coming to my front porch 
and trying to build a nest on my porch light right outside my front door. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like this. I don't know if it's the same bird year, because it happens every spring. It may be the same bird. It may be that bird's cousin. I don't know. But somehow they get the word and they're like, there's a great spot for a nest. It's on the front porch of this house at 338 Butler Road on that black light. Hit it up, you know? And it drives me crazy. My wife doesn't like it. Every time that around this time of year, she's like, I'm not going out the front porch. You got to let the dog out because the bird's going to attack me. A bird might come in the house. And so I have to be her knight in shining armor and go out there and deal with this bird. Uh, and when I walk out the door, n- normally the first sign is there's hay and there's twigs and there's a bunch of stuff on the ground. And I, I'm like, what is going on? I look up and there's the start of a bird's nest. And so at early on when this was happening, I would, I'd start picking that all up. I'm like, oh no, this is not happening. I don't want birds on my, on my house. Uh, and so I start cleaning it all up. I take it down, throw it away. The next morning, you know what happens? I think he finds it in the garbage. He puts it back or she, whatever it is. I look at, and there it is again. I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know what I do? I clean it all up. I grab it. I set it on fire this time. It's like, it's not going to happen. I'm not putting that. Th- I didn't really set it on fire, but I'm using that for effect. But that's what I feel like. I'm going to set this thing on fire. Um, but what am I doing? This, this bird won't stop. I clean it off again and it comes back. And so I finally learned I need to get one of my kids' toys, a, a toy snake. Uh, right now we have a yellow lizard sitting there. So if you ever come to our front door and you're like, I don't know if this is like a new ornament, like this is a new fad. You put toy like lizards on your light post, try it sometimes, it's pretty cool. Uh, But it works, it keeps the bird away. Here's my point, that bird is a persistent little creature. It wants to build a nest on my light post, or on my light, on my porch. Sadly, I think that that bird can be more persistent in building its nest than we can be coming before the throne of God in prayer. And I, I think we need to examine ourselves and say, man, yeah, I pray and I know prayer is important and, you know, I try to give some time to it and, uh, you know, I, we pray with our meals and, but here's the question. Are we persistent? Are we consistent? Do we per- persevere in this area? And I really believe that we see that example with Jesus in a couple different ways. First of all, I think he has a routine. This is a routine in Jesus' life. Prayer was his custom Again, in the parallel passage, Luke 22 and verse 39, it says that he went to pray as he was wont to. That's an old English word in the King James that basically is saying that this was his custom as he used, as he would normally or customarily do. Going to Gethsemane in that beautiful garden, Jesus would frequent that spot. And if it wasn't that spot, depending where they were serving, he would go out into the wilderness and he would get up a great time before morning and he would go and pray. It was his routine. It's amazing what we do in routine because we want to, but we should make prayer a routine. Jesus had a routine. Not only was there a routine, we see repetition. Even in in Matthew chapter 26, in this particular episode, he prays three times. There was a repetition to it. And sometimes we may think if you read Matthew chapter six, where Jesus is teaching on the subject of prayer again to his disciples, because they asked him, teach us to pray. And he makes the comment about, well, we shouldn't pray as the heathen do and with vain repetition. There's nothing wrong with repetitious prayer. There's something wrong with vain repetitious prayer. And we need to make sure that it's not empty and that we don't do it for the wrong reasons. He said the publicans, they pray in public to be heard of men. We should be praying in the closet to be heard of our father. They pray to be heard of men and they have their reward. It's not, it's not effective, but they get the accolade of men, but they don't get the attention and the power of God. And we want to make sure that we're praying right. But the point being, there's nothing wrong with repetition. It's just the emptiness of repetition. And so I would challenge you to, to understand that. Are you, have you ever prayed for something but stopped? And for whatever reason, like, hey, I had this prayer request and it seems like it's fallen on deaf ears or maybe God's forgotten about it or maybe God doesn't care about it. And I I just stopped praying for it. Can I challenge you? There's a biblical pattern where we should be repetitious in prayer. Now that can be buffered with what we'll talk about at the end of the message as far as our submission to God is concerned and his will. But let us not be guilty of, of lacking in persistence. Uh, you can uh, turn to Luke chapter number 18 again, and I want you to see it, where the parable of the unjust judge, we see here that Jesus gives us another example and how he wants us to persist in prayer. And sometimes we can be guilty of not doing that. It says 
in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying that there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man, and there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this woman troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And so you get the picture. There's this widow who has no advocate. She's going to the judge and saying, hey, I need an advocate. Will you avenge my adversary? And he's like, no, you're on your own. Get out of here. But she keeps coming back and being persistent and persistent and persistent. He has no, no fear of God, no regard for man, but eventually he gives in. And the reason why is because she was just persistent. He's like, I got to get this old lady off my back. I can't, I can't take her anymore. And, and so we see that persistence paid off. Notice what Jesus goes on to say in verse six. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect and cry day and night, uh, that cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, will the Son of Man cometh, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Did you catch that? So what he's saying there is like, hey, this unjust judge was uninclined to meet this, this widow's need. How much more is God inclined? God is much more inclined to answer your prayer. He wants to hear your prayer. He wants to meet your need. But the, the question was, well, will he find faith? And that idea that faith that demonstrates itself in a persistence in reliance through prayer upon God. Will he find that? Will we be persistent? And so will we have a routine? Will we be repetitious? Will we maintain and continue asking the same request? I, I say that we should. I think that we get that example from Jesus. So how do we make this practical? And our, our time's almost gone. Establish a routine and a ritual. I think we see that with Daniel. Remember Daniel? He went into his room. He closed the door. He opened his window and faced towards Jerusalem. And he prayed morning and noon and night, right? That was his routine. That was his repetition. And Jesus did that. You and I should do that as well. Establish that routine. Start small and pursue incremental growth. That's why I love what Pastor Mark challenged us to do as a church family last week. 105 to thrive. How'd you do? Do it again this week. Repeat it. Be repetitious in it and, and continue and persist in that prayer. Don't be afraid to fail. Sometimes we don't do things because we're like, oh, I tried that before. I, 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 didn't, I didn't succeed in it. The just man falls seven times and rises up again. It's okay to fail. It's not okay to, to quit. Continue in persisting in that prayer. Invite accountability if you have to. Ask somebody to hold you accountable, to text you and ask you, hey, are you having that solitude time? Are you having that prayer time? Are you spending that time with the Lord? Expect and strive against resistance. Mark it down. When you make a decision to follow God, when you make a decision to draw closer to God, the devil's gonna, he's gonna resist that. He's gonna fight against that. And we need to, we're not ignorant of his devices, Paul said. We know what he's gonna do. We need to make sure that we're ready to combat the devil in spiritual warfare by, by putting on the armor of God and by praying and being ready for it. And so expect that. Uh, and then remember the why. Why do I pray? Because I need God. I need his power. I need his wisdom and prayer matters. I think if we lose sight of the why, we need to remind ourselves every day, why am I praying again? Oh yeah, I need God's help. I need God's power. I need God's wisdom. That will motivate us to make sure that we're continuing and persisting in it. And then the last thing I would suggest is to celebrate the wins. As a staff, we try to do that here at Harvest where, hey, we get together, we have a weekly staff meeting and we start that staff meeting off by saying, hey, what are some wins you wanna share? What have you been working on? How have you been succeeding? How has God been answering prayer and providing? And when we share with each other, you know what that does? It encourages us like, man, God's at work. And not, don't just share your prayer requests, but also share your answers to prayer. Do that with each other and do that with your family. Why? Because that'll help us to be persistent. Man, God answers prayer. Praise the Lord. I'm going to keep praying. I need his answer in this area and I need this, his power in this part of my life. And I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to be persistent in this thing. How's your persistence? How's your consistency? How is your um, perseverance in prayer? Jesus persisted. And we get that great example from him. The last thing I want you to notice back in Matthew 26, we see submission. And this is key. It's really key because we have our desire, right? And a lot of times when we pray, we pray according to our passion. Man, I had this need. I'm sick. I want God to heal me. Or my, my loved one is facing a trial. I want God to answer and provide for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to remember that sometimes our desire may not align with God's will. And we have to be okay with that. 
Oh, I think sometimes we think when we pray, God's just a genie. We rub the lamp and we say, God, grant me my wish. And we expect a yes answer all the time. If that were the case, God would not be God. We would. He would just be doing everything we told him to do, right? But God is God. And we are his children. And we need to learn to trust him even in our perseverance in prayer. This is beautiful submission. Jesus, when he persisted with his prayer request in this passage, he resigned the request to his father's will. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 38, for I, am come, I, am, I, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Our nature is to pray for our own will to be done. But it should be as the model prayer teaches us to pray, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And that should be more specific. Lord, thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Is that your prayer? Let whatever you pray about be as God wills. God will determine what is best. Be content to leave the subject, whatever you're praying for, be content to leave it in God's hands. Persist in it and be humble in it. But at the end of the day, Lord, I'm giving this to you and I want you to do what's best. He, will, he knows when to give. He knows how to give. He knows what to give and he knows how to withhold too when it's what's best for us. And we have to trust him and be okay with that. That's hard. Here's the question. What do you need to resign to God's will? What are some practical things we can do to make sure that we grow in this area of submission? How about this? Don't try to control and manipulate everything. Can't we be so guilty of that? Man, I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to work this chessboard piece here and this piece here, and I'm going to talk to this person, and I'm going to put this post on social media, and I'm going to try to talk to this person. We manipulate because we want to have our will. Maybe what we need to do is just submit and take our hands off and say, God, your will be done. I'm not going to try to manipulate. I'm not going to try to force it. I'm not going to try to, to win over. I want your will to be done. So don't try to control, manipulate. Don't act or respond in fear. You know that sometimes we don't submit because we're afraid of what God may, what he may answer. We don't pray and we respond in fear to life because we're, I don't want God to call me to Africa. Well, if God calls you to Africa, he's, in a, he's, gonna, he's going to provide for you. He's going to meet your need and use you in that. But sometimes God is, I shouldn't say sometimes, most of the time, God's going to call us to be outside of our comfort zone. He's going to stretch us. And we, we need to not respond in fear, but in faith. I think we also need to make sure that we forsake selfishness. It's all about me. It's about what I want. It's about my preferences. Sometimes we approach church that way. Well, I don't like the color of this. Well, that's okay if you don't like the color of this. You don't have to like the color of that, right? It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about my father's will. At the end of the day, what happens in this room is about people hearing the word of God and hearing the gospel and getting saved and lives being changed. This is just a tool. That's all it is. And we need to be okay with that. But sometimes we get really selfish and self-focused and we need to be, say, be saying, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. So let me ask you, how's your prayer life? Do you find that solitude time? Do you have a posture of humility? Are you persistent in it? And in that persistence, are you willing to submit whatever it is you're praying before the Father? I think if we'll implement this and repeat 105 to thrive this week, and in your prayer time, try to take some of this and enhance what you did last week.